We're going to be looking in the book of Joshua tonight, Joshua chapter 8. I'd invite your attention there, Joshua uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. May God bless the reading of his word tonight. It's my prayer. You know, as we continue on in our study of the book of Joshua tonight, we're looking at how overall God moves us forward. That's what God was doing with his people. He was taking them to a place uh, where he famously said, where you have not been before. And uh, God does that. He works in that way in our lives to move us forward. Uh, the story that we're seeing the culmination of tonight, of course, began with an altercation. We remember that time when uh, uh, Achan and all of those people, had his family had sinned against God. They had taken of the accursed thing, uh, that Babylonian garment. He had taken of the things that God had prescribed from Jericho that would be taken to the temple and used in his worship. And he had taken them, procured them for himself. Um, and, of course, we remember then that disastrous defeat and the time of repentance as God plays out the story of Ai in agonizing detail, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Yeah, I'm an old wild world, wide world of sports fan. Yeah, I remember. Uh, Joshua chapter 8 and verse 30 then says this, Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. Now we'll talk more about that later, uh, and, uh, but just remember Mount Ebal. And uh, uh, God had caused them to build this altar there. So what began with an altercation with God, as the people were in in experiencing a time of hostility with Him, ends up with them at the altar before God. That's quite a story. In between is a victory. <laughs> uh, so we'll see how that story plays out tonight. Uh, many of you perhaps grew up at a time when you had uh, uh, mourner's benches in churches. Y'all remember seeing those? Anybody? Anybody see those? Remember what those were? Maybe you don't. Uh, used to, they had them as three or four of you do. Uh, there'd be a little bench that sat over on the side. Uh, we didn't call them mourner's benches, though. For the most part, we referred to them as the altar. If we were going to have an altar call tonight and you were going to go to the altar, where would you go? You would come up here to these places as steps because still ingrained in our mind is this place we call the altar. And uh, for the most part, we consider it to be a place where we go and we deal with our sins. We repent if we need to repent. Uh, where we make things right with God. But let's understand, in the Old Testament economy especially, the building of an altar had a different significance. When a man of God built an altar to God, it of course was a place of worship. And that place of worship then represented to them, it represented the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, when, they, when the man of God built an altar, uh, then that became a place of sacrifice, a place of worship, and it represented the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the most part, when they went and built an altar, it wasn't something that they did to deal with their sin. It was something they did because they had dealt with their sin. It wasn't so much something that they did because they were seeking God's blessings. It was because they were experiencing God's blessings. It wasn't that they were doing something because they needed to repent, but because they had repented. And that was the significance of the altar. 
Because I don't know how it is in your life, and I know how it is in my life. There's a whole lot of times that I live out exactly what we see play out in the story of Ai. I live out what we see play out in the book of Joshua. And that is a time of great victory. It's followed by a time of defeat. We do really well, and we mess up. You know, we talk about two steps forward, and I'd be glad if it's two steps forward and a step back, or even two steps forward and two steps back. But sometimes it's two steps forward and 19 steps back. That's what I don't like. Nobody else in this church experiences that, obviously, but me, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to get that off my chest tonight. I, uh, I know all of the, the verses of that song. If it was a song, it would be a praise chorus that we sing over and over and over and over again. Because we do this over and over and over again. Victory uh, is followed oftentimes by a time of defeat. If we get things right, then we get a little haughty. And pride goes before what? Destruction. And a haughty spirit before fall. And then we go down. You see, when Israel went to the altar then, especially in this passage, it wasn't in order to experience God's victory. They already had that. It wasn't to get things right. They had already done it. It wasn't to repent. They had already repented. It wasn't to deal with all their sin. They had dealt with that. And God had given them a victory. Then they went to the altar on Mount Eval. On Mount Eval, built an altar there, not of hewn stones, because that altar wasn't about human works. They built an altar out of natural stone. Because this was something about what God did. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ wasn't about what we did. It's about what God did for us. Amen. And that's exactly because when they went to the cross of Jesus Christ and they went there and they built that altar, that was what they were doing in order to put the past in the past. They had been around long enough. They had seen it in their fathers that victory to defeat, victory to defeat, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. They had seen that cycle over and over again. Now they had lived it out the terrible way in the promised land of all places and of all things, in the promised land. They didn't want that again. That's why they built an altar. They needed to go to the cross because that's where that cycle a victory followed by defeat can be broken and we can put the past then in the past. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting those things that are behind. Whether they're past victories, we don't need to dwell on them. Because if we do, we'll get the big head and then we'll be messing up. If they're past defeats, we might just let ourselves just languish around in that defeat. And, and by thinking about our past victories and how wonderful it used to be, or think about how our past defeats. Well, I tried this before and it didn't work. Either side of that is something we need to put behind. Because if we don't, there's a mark that God has available for us out there in the future and we might miss it. 
In fact, Colossians chapter 2 warns us that we can actually be cheated out of our reward. In verse 18, uh, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which is not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, that's Jesus Christ, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. We need to stay close to Jesus. We need our heart full of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how... That's how we put the past in the past and go forward. Chapter 7 then showed them dealing with all their sin. And now chapter 8 is going to see them going from that altercation with God, experiencing that victory and going to the altar. A couple of quick things that we're going to look at tonight. First of all, what God showed them on the way to the altar. Joshua chapter 8 and verse 1. Now the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid nor displayed. Don't you know that was good news at that point in time? Don't be afraid. Take all the people of war with you. This is something all Israel needs to do. And arise, go up to Ai, see I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And God was going to show them some things as they were going to the altar. And the first thing that He was going to show them is right here in our passage that God is ready, willing, and able. God is quick to pardon and forgive our sins. Aren't you glad our God is a forgiving God tonight? Isn't that great? That God is quick to pardon our sin. That's not just a New Testament thing. We know that. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, I quote it to you a lot. That if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But guess what? Lamentations 3.22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Isn't that a great passage? Isaiah 1.18, Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people, very famous passage, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Forgive their sin. Uh, God is quick to forgive. When people turn to Him in repentance and deal with their sins, He will immediately respond with that forgiveness full and free. And we know that has happened in this passage because God told them, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Now they're fathers, you see, had sinned, and they suffered under the penalty of the effects of that sin for 40 years. Why was that? There's only one explanation for that. Because if they would have repented of their sins and turned to God, God would have forgiven them. Why didn't He do it? Why did they die in their sins in that long, anguishing time, 40 years? Why? Because they didn't turn from their sins. A lot of times, you know, we talk about it's hard to forgive. You know, a lot of the times we're struggling with forgiving people because they don't say they're sorry. Amen? They don't admit they've done anything wrong. They don't say they're sorry. And they don't stop doing what they're doing. They keep doing it. It's hard to forgive people. 
But it's really, really hard to forgive people when they don't admit they've done anything wrong, they don't say they're sorry, and they keep doing what they were doing. That was what was going on with Israel for 40 years. Now, they might have uh, shed a few crocodile tears, but they never repented. They never turned. They never admitted that they had sinned against God. They continued to rebel against Him and rebel against Moses. And God waited until their sin died with them. Their sin died with them. That's a terrible thing to say, isn't it? It's God's nature to forgive and pardon. He has, He does, He will, if you'll ask Him to. But they also needed to know not only is it God's nature to pardon sin, but it was also God's nature to punish sins. Now the Canaanites were in the land, and as we saw in the case of Jericho, these people who lived in that land were a very, very wicked and godless people. The same God who rained down fire and brimstone and totally destroyed the five cities of the plain, the most significant uh, two of which were Sodom and Gomorrah. But the God who rained down fire and brimstone from heaven and utterly destroyed that up to and including Lot's wife who stopped and lingered and was turned into a pillar of salt. you remember that story? Who all died in Sodom and Gomorrah? Everybody. Everybody. God didn't use the same seven times around tactic that he used on Jericho. He called all the men of war and sent them out. And instead, God gives this plan. Verse 18, the Lord said unto Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into thine hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear, he probably did it this way, in his hand toward the city. Verse 24, And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, wherein they chased them, and then when they were all fallen on the edge of the sword, until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned unto Ai and smote it with the edge of the sword. And so it was that all that fell that day, both of men and women, were 12,000, even all the men of Ai. For Joshua drew not his hand back wherewith he had stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed the inhabitants of Ai. The message of the passage is unmistakably clear. If we confess our sins, repent of our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we refuse to confess our sin, the same God who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us is just as faithful and just to punish sin. And the same God who, forgive, who forgave the children of Israel was the same God who consumed the city of Ai by the armies, by the hand of the armies of Israel. Modern Americans love to hear about the God of love and God of mercy and the God of forgiveness. Most popular preachers in America today, if you read all their newspaper clippings, 
are the ones who boast about the fact that they never preach about sin, never speak about hell, never call people to repent because they want people to feel good. And they say it very plainly. They make no bones about it. Don't preach about sin. They've got enough to feel bad about. I want them to come to church and leave out feeling good. But you know what? I want people to feel out good, to leave out of church feeling good too. <laughs> I do. But I don't want you leaving out of feeling good about being lost. I don't want you to leave out of here feeling good about still being in your sins. Being in a state of rebellion against God, there are times, you see, when we need to repent and confess and get right with God because God puts us very prominently on display. God is a God who pardons our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us. But He is also faithful and just to punish. And Israel got a good lesson in both of these truths as they moved from their altercation with God to the altar. On their way to the altar, they learn that God pardons and punishes sins. Then secondly, we'll see what God showed them at the altar. What did they, what did they learn at the altar? Verse 30, Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings on Mount Ebal. Now this wasn't something that Joshua had made up along the way. He tells us very plainly that God had told them how to build an altar with plain, uncut, unhewn stone. And not only that, but they built it on Mount Ebal. Joshua, you see, remembered Mount Ebal, and for good reason. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 26. This is Moses. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you obey not the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. And it shall come to pass when the Lord thy God hath brought thee in unto the land where thou goest to possess it, that thou shalt put the blessing upon Mount Gerizim and the curse upon Mount Ival. They built the altar on the mountain of the curse. This was a striking object lesson in many ways, and Joshua himself was uh, very actively involved in what happened, what Moses did that day. Uh, the mountains are set against each other. Eval, the blessed, the, the mountain of the curse, was a barren and rocky place, while Gerizim was lush and green and beautiful. There's a valley between them. The city of Shechem is there where Jacob's well is. Many of you, if you've gone to the Holy Land, have probably visited there. and You've stood between uh, Mount uh, Eval and Mount Gerizim, though they might not have known that's what it was. And it was a place of blessing, of curse. And it was there while the children of Israel were down what all these preachers, all these generations have called the valley of decision. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Brother Rich, if you preach that, I sure have. I sure have. I love it. Great sermon. 
multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision because that's where they had to choose between the blessing and the cursing. Moses would read out the curses and, and he'd read out the blessings. This is what happens to you if you follow God's law. This is what happens to you if you rebel against God. And they accepted then the blessing and the curse. And that's where Joshua built the altar on Mount Eval, on the place of the curse. It was there that day so long ago that Joshua had written the law of Moses on the stones and the people of Israel spread out the valley. You see, the point of that whole experience was not only to illuminate the path of blessedness, but also to illuminate the place of brokenness. That's the altar. Not about human works, about what Jesus Christ has, would do for them, what He has done for us on the cross of Calvary. You see, when they sinned, when they rebelled against God, when they messed up at Ai, they had treated, as we saw in our last message, they had treated God's blessings as if they were optional. They were good to have, but we'd be okay without them, don't really need them, we can move on without them, it's okay. Uh, but now they have learned that devastating defeats come to the people of God unless we have the blessing of God. And that is as true in 2019 as it was in Israel long ago. Terrible defeats come to us unless we have the blessing of Almighty God on us. They repented after their defeat. God forgave them, restored them to the place of blessing and power and victory. Now they come to the altar where they affirm their affinity to and their affection for the cross of Jesus Christ. So that they we're saying, Lord, keep us near this. We understand. We understand that it's only through our brokenness that we get back to our blessedness. And the only way that we can move from brokenness to blessedness is by means of the altar where we bow before you, where we consider what Jesus Christ has done for us. I'd understand the significance of this. You have to spring forward a couple of thousand years, and, and yeah, you'll talk about a thirsty woman. W.C. was coming to a well. Jacob's well, as a matter of fact, was there. She was coming to this place. Jesus takes a trip through Samaria. Well, that, that's where these mountains are. You remember when the woman said to Jesus, our fathers worshipped in this mountain? She was pointing up to Mount Gerizim. That's where she was pointing to. Because when the, the people of the northern kingdom rebelled against the plan of God because God had set his place of worship, the temple in Jerusalem, and they rebelled against that, they didn't think they had to follow God's word. We'll make our own place. And where did they choose? They chose the mountain where God called them blessing. See, they thought they could get to the blessings of God without following the word of God. They thought they could get to the blessings of God without going to that place of brokenness. No, they don't need that. We're not going to admit anything's wrong. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. We were seeking the blessings of God. You remember what Jesus said to her? Go call your husband. Go call your husband. 
Why? Because all that worship she was talking about up there on Mount Gerizim was not going to deal with her sin. <laughs> she needed something else for that. And all Jesus offered it to her, I've got water to drink. If you drink of this water, you'll never, not never thirst again. Bad English, but excellent Greek. It was emphasizing the fact you'll never, not ever thirst again. And uh, come see a man which told me all things that ever I'd done. It's not this, the Christ. Come to Jesus. That's what he was offering her. Deal with your sin. And then you can go on in victory. You see, our sin will either be pardoned in Christ or punished in hell. This passage puts that on display for us. People who refuse the cross of Jesus Christ are not saved. And they need to be saved. And without that salvation, they're facing the full penalty of an eternity in hell. What makes the good news, the gospel, the good news is that there's bad news. The bad news is that the wages of sin is death. And that people, when they die without Christ, spend eternity in hell. When God's people then enter in an altercation with God, and we're going in that cycle from victory to defeat, and maybe again and again and again, we need a trip to the altar because that altar brings to mind the place of true victory, which is Jesus Christ and His cross. Where the cross of Jesus Christ is the means whereby our sins can be forgiven, where we can deal with them, where we can declare then our allegiance to the Word of God and our affinity and affection for the cross of Jesus Christ because it's only by staying in the Word and it's only by staying near the cross of Christ that we can break that cycle of victory to defeat, to victory to defeat, victory to defeat. Every time, every time that we ever stray off into sin, we have neglected the Word and we have abandoned cross because if we stayed in the word and we stayed on our knees before the cross of Jesus Christ then we'd live out what Paul described when he said God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Jesus Christ whereby the world is crucified to me and I unto the world the place of victory, folk, is when we keep that altar, the cross, between me and the world. The old hymn writer had it, had it right when she wrote, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain Free to all a healing stream Flows from Calvary's mountain If you know it, sing it on the course. In the cross 
in the cross be my glory ever till I reach soul shall find rest beyond the river. Let's stand together, please.